Hello, I'm James Day, and this is Focus on Pocus, a podcast about point-of-care ultrasound. We've had so many outstanding guests in the field over the past two to three years, so if you feel so inclined, check out pocus.org where all the shows are archived. Also, please reach out to us if you have an interesting story to tell that revolves around all things ultrasound. Today in our studio, we have a very esteemed guest. We have Dr. James Wilcox, who earned his MD from Indiana University and completed his family medicine residency at IU Health Ball Memorial Hospital in 2017. He then completed his sports medicine fellowship at Western Michigan University in 2018. He served the rural community of Austin, Indiana, practicing the breadth of family medicine, inpatient, outpatient primary care, emergency medicine, sports medicine, and substance use treatment. He just recently relocated to Indianapolis in 2020, and he is now working at Eskenazi Health in outpatient primary care. In 2021, he accepted a grant-funded position at Indiana University School of Medicine, teaching point-of-care ultrasound and coordinating POCUS integration to a four-year curriculum as the HRSA Prime Focus Thread Director at the Indiana University School of Medicine Assistant POCUS Director. His clinical interests include sports medicine, point-of-care ultrasound, hepatitis treatment, and substance abuse disorder management. Quite an impressive bio, James. How are you, Dr. Wilcox? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, here it is, December 1st. It's a frosty morn. The Christmas crunch is on. Holiday season is upon us. And we're here to talk about POCUS. So Dr. Wilcox did a residence in sports medicine, and now he's in primary care utilizing ultrasound. And today, later on, he's teaching his students some focused cardiac. So I'll start out with uh, what POCUS evaluations have you found most useful in primary care? Yeah, thank you. Um, I think I really owe a debt of gratitude to our emergency medicine colleagues for coming up with a lot of the point of care protocols that we use. But to be honest, I haven't really seen very many patients with a pneumothorax walk into my office. (laughs) So some of the particular protocols aren't as useful for me in the primary care office, but I have found musculoskeletal ultrasound to be very useful. I think, you know, the studies are variable, but anywhere from 15 to 30 some percent of outpatient primary care visits end up being musculoskeletal in nature. So it's really useful for diagnosing and helping with um, coming up with treatment protocols for my patients with different musculoskeletal disorders, Um, really at the bedside, helping to more quickly evaluate um, my patients. But outside of musculoskeletal ultrasound, I've found a lot of other uses like looking at pneumonias or Um, If I have a patient come in with a swollen unilateral leg on Friday afternoon at 4 p.m., I can do the DVT scan for him really quickly in the office and get an answer right now rather than having to send them to the emergency department or something in the evening to call in the sonographer who's on call that night and make everybody upset and get a lot of big bills. I can just do it really quickly in the office for him. So um, there's really revolutionized my practice in primary care, being able to have that imaging modality right at the bedside. 
Yeah, that's great. You jarred a memory when I used to be the sonographer on call. And I remember this is early 90s talking to the residents. And I'm going, guys, you can do this subcostal yourself. You can <laughs> you can look for a pericardial effusion. And, and I sort of taught them and, and made a, uh, on the Hewlett Packard, I made a, uh, I called it a residence button. Everything's preset. Hit this and did go. And so funny, they really got into it. So this is way before miniaturized handheld POCUS empowered them in their care, like like what you're saying. And why not? It's great. Yeah. So what else is beside? I'm just curious. So it's MSK and then is lung. Do you think lung and DVT? Those are the maybe the top three that you'd use in this primary care setting. Yeah, I just a couple weeks ago had a teenager come in with a cough and a fever and I heard some abnormal breath sounds in her right lower lobe and you know normally I would really be weighing if I need to get a chest x-ray and expose this teenager to radiation to help me see the diagnosis of pneumonia or not and give her antibiotics but now I have this modality that's non-ionizing radiation and I did a bedside ultrasound found her focal consolidation in her right lower lobe diagnosed her with pneumonia and got her the antibiotic Um, no radiation needed and so uh, that's it's really improved my ability to diagnose and um, get faster more efficient treatment for my patients at the bedside I do like to do a lot of cardiac scans too Mm -hmm. um I think it's it's actually really helpful being able to measure the left ventricular mass index, um, especially for those patients that have like white coat syndrome or they're very anxious or something that day yeah. to help me differentiate, you know, is this truly hypertension or is this just they're anxious that day? And so that's that's been really helpful as well. It's great. And the imaging has gotten so much better than the giant oven machines. Yes. <laughs> so this is all great and stuff, but do you what's the billing considerations? that are sort of specific to primary care focus? Yeah, so I typically will bill um, uh, my ultrasound exams just like any other procedure that I do. Um, But I usually will use the limited uh, CPT codes for like a limited bedside echo or a limited joint exam. Um, Because what I'm doing is a focused point of care ultrasound exam. I'm not doing the full cardiac echocardiogram at the bedside. I'm just looking at a couple of specific questions. Does my patient have uh, pericardial effusion or a low ejection fraction? And um, is this is this uh, midfoot bone broken or not? Um, I had a patient uh, a couple months ago who came in limping. He'd kicked a box and the x-ray of his foot was completely normal said no broken bones but he was limping had a bruise on his foot i pulled out my ultrasound and did a limited exam of his midfoot and found what looked like little bone chips Mm. um, in his midfoot so i got a ct scan to further characterize that it turned out he broke multiple of his uh, uh metatarsal bones we just didn't see it on the x-ray and so doing the billing for just a limited ultrasound um recuperates some of my time for doing that but it also um helps my patients be able to uh um better uh uh get better appropriate care um 
when I'm first learning a scan, though, what I like to do is <clears throat> I'll bill for my time with the patient rather than billing for procedures mm -hmm. because I don't like billing a patient for a procedure that I'm not good at. I want to make sure I'm competent and, and effective at doing the procedure. But I am spending more time with my patient at the bedside. So I'll be answering questions. I'll be showing them the inside of their body. So usually I'll bill for my time rather than billing for procedures um, when I'm first starting to learn different exams. Yeah, you feel like you want to be competent and thus obviously build for your skill and your time. It makes makes a lot of sense. But I I got to know what was in the box. So the guy kicks the box um, and he's got a bunch of bone chips. He said, it, <laughs> yeah, he, he must have kicked that thing really hard because he splayed his toe out so much he had to get stitches of the oh. skin of the webbing in between his toes. Out. Um I don't know what it, what was in that box, but it was it was pretty bad. Oh wow! So what do you have you found? You know, this is uh, concerning primary care practice. What have you found most challenging about integrating POCUS into your practice? Definitely, the most challenging thing is the time constraints. You know, in a busy primary care practice, yeah. um, you know, I'm moving from patient to patient. We have sometimes just. 15, 20 minutes to get through a whole list of concerns. Um, and I found that trying to wheel in those big ultrasound machines has been really challenging. But now that we have these handheld ultrasound devices, I've used them in other contexts, um, like in teaching or in the, um, I've used the handheld ultrasounds in um, our sideline coverage at uh, football games. But being able to use it in the clinic, I can just carry this pocket ultrasound with me from room to room. And when I need it, I can use it and put it back in my pocket. And so it's really been very convenient and helped with the efficiency in my practice. Yeah, I was just trying to think of a couple incidents. Do you ever get, uh, do you, I guess you, you would evaluate in your practice, somebody could roll in there with the right upper quadrant pain or maybe a, a gall or a Something like that. Has that ever happened to you yet? You said mostly it's MSK, though, right? Oh, I I do a lot of abdominal scans, mm -hmm. too. If they've got right upper quadrant pain or um, if I'm worried about, like, a um, uh, aortic aneurysm or um, I've sometimes will look for appendicitis or at least rule things out, um, give myself a better... Um, clinical picture you know it's all about putting together the clinical pieces of the puzzle and having a few more pieces to say okay this right upper quadrant pain is not being caused by a gallstone <clears throat> it's very helpful yeah i see what that would now do you have any uh specific case you want to before we go here you want to tell us about that maybe came up in your practice and you you know pocus was the hero and you were the hero yeah thanks i had a patient come to my clinic a couple months ago who had just had a cardiac bypass surgery. And um, during the surgery, he unfortunately had a, a pleural effusion, which they drained while he was in the hospital. Um, but then he was doing well and he was discharged. He uh, came to see his uh, hematologist a couple weeks later, and uh, she noted in her notes that he had some decreased breath sounds on that same lung, on the left lung. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but I didn't see any notes about if 
there was anything that was going to be done about it at that point. So he came to see me three weeks later, actually. So I listened to his lungs, and sure enough, he still had some decreased breath sounds in his left lung. So I pulled out my ultrasound and took a look, and sure enough, he had reaccumulated his pleural effusion again, uh, pretty sizable, very large pleural effusion in that left lung, which is why wow. he was still short of breath um, a month after his surgery and still having trouble getting up and down stairs. So um, he was on a blood thinner at that point. So I uh, coordinated with our interventional radiologist and was able to get him off the blood thinner for a couple of days, um, sufficient amount of time, and get him a ultrasound-guided thoracentesis to uh, relieve his pleural effusion, and he felt so much better. Mm -hmm. was very grateful um, to be able to get that done um, just a couple days after I saw him. So um, I was really, really fortunate to be able to have that bedside ultrasound imaging modality in that case um, to be able to provide excellent care for for my patient and get him treated really quickly for that large pleural effusion he had after surgery. Wow, that's excellent. Yeah, some strange thing. It was nice that you were on the front line to sort of triage the situation. That's good. Well, Dr. Wilcox, listen, it was great having you here on today's podcast. It's an honor. Keep doing what you do, and we thank you for all you do to increase patient safety. Thank you very much for having me. For more POCUS-style topics, follow us on Facebook at POCUS Cert Academy and Twitter at POCUS Academy. Thanks. Have a great work day here. Teach those students well. (laughs) Thank you.